Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky uh, on ESPN LA, coming to you on Thursday, the 20th, the 20th of October. All right. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. That's all for this week. Uh, a lot to cover today. Lakers, Andy, they start, the, the real games start next week, less than a week away from the start of the regular season. And I, for one, am happy about that. I could use a longer preseason. <laughs> More. So we'll get to uh we'll get to the the Lakers and and the sort of the end of the preseason uh, and what it means for the real games we've got that. We the G real the GM survey is out, Andy. That's always always fun. We've got a statue we're giving away for a beloved former Laker. Yes. Um it's one that brings up a lot of emotional goodwill and one that is remembered rather fondly with fans. I think so. I think that's absolutely. I true. would go so far as to have called him a fan favorite. Yes, that is absolutely true. And uh, from there, we also have. It's uh, a tradition on this show. Yes, the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations are out, so we'll we'll talk about that. Um, but we start with, of course, the the big news of the day. And Andy, that is one place to start. Carmelo Anthony gave did it in an interview with ESPN the magazine uh, with Howard Bryant, and. In, probably, I think about as frank as any athlete has been about playing a role in social issues as as I've seen. You know, certainly in the last you know fifteen twenty years, not anything I can remember. Yeah, the, the, this interview, Mello really goes deep into racial issues and social issues, societal issues, um, issues in different ways that the system is not working. For people of color, for poor people, um, people living in impoverished areas, and just all the different systemic breakdowns that are going on that you know have a ripple effect, whether you're talking about with education or you know the effect on the stability of different families. Right. A lot of a lot of depth, a lot of detail, a lot of depth, and a lot of detail. But in, but in particular too, you know, I mean, you know, with what's going on with Black Lives Matter or you know these different unfortunate tragedies involving unarmed or I guess there's controversy about whether they were armed, but black men being shot by the police. And Mello said in particular that the Freddie Gray shooting is what really made him say, I need to get more involved. And in particular too, and I thought this was really interesting. He said he went back to Baltimore where he grew up and where Freddie Gray was killed. He didn't let media know about it. He didn't want to make a thing of it. But he said he wanted to feel the tension of his neighborhood. Like he wanted to feel what everybody is going through in the area that he grew up in. It's also really striking, too. This is part of an ESPN, the magazine, um, excuse me, ESPN, the magazine um, interview. And I believe Mello may be on the cover. But if he's not on the cover, there is. I I think I'm pretty sure he is. I've seen pictures of a cover. Right. Maybe they have multiple covers, but they took a cover shot. But what I find really interesting, though, about that cover shot is that he's wearing what strikes me, and I'm sure this was intentional, a beret that's supposed to signify like the Black Panthers. That was the impression I was left with. And that is a really strong image, you know, not just for ESPN to put on ESPN to put on their magazine. But also for Mello to be putting himself out there like that. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a very specific action on his part that I, I thought was rather compelling. We've, we've gone through a lot of stuff. I mean, and I am both of us. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, if you heard us on the radio, you know we are not these stick to sports guys when it comes to athletes. You know, they have a platform. They should be able to talk about whatever they want. And you, know, you can decide as a fan whether or not you want to engage in it and allow 
politics. You know, the well, I didn't. I don't come to the game so you can you know hear about this stuff. I just want to escape. Then don't, don't go, listen. Then don't, don't go to the game. Then don't okay. go to the game or don't listen. You know, don't pay attention to that part of it. Just go watch the game. You don't you don't have to read everything Carmelo Anthony says or listen to everything he says or any of these other guys. But we've we've talked about this a lot. And what I'm, I'm what I'm interested in is, I think particularly with basketball demographically. Not just you know because it's a it's a, pre- a predominantly black sport for athletes. It also skews younger, you know, millennials and, and younger people who I think are more open minded and sympathetic to the at the very least the grievances of the Black Lives Matter movement. To name one, if if not the the actual execution of policy or whatever it might be, the but for the for the most part. You know, when Chris Paul and LeBron and, and Wade and, and Mello got up at like the ESPYs, for example, and spoke out against gun violence, that was, I think, an important moment. It was a bold moment, but it was generally speaking, it was kind of a unifying moment. Whereas one, even people who are pro Second Amendment, like hardcore gun people, generally speaking, are not pro gun violence. They don't want people to get shot. I mean, I think that's fair. Yes. Um, this, though, if you go and you read the interview, and I recommend people do it, is much more specific. He, he talks about specific criticism of police, even while trying to kind of stick up and you know say that, you know saying that he doesn't think that they're bad, but he talks about systems and he talks about institutions and he, and he gets very specific and, and, and with policies and thoughts that are going to be alienating to a lot of people, and so the conversation I think moves Mello off of a an important but safer place into something that is more polarizing. And I think the more we see this, with a, especially with a guy like Mello, now we'll see that test of, okay, I am curious, like what kind of impact does this have, not so much on his endorsements, but with fans, with the reception he gets, you know, do, do white fans abandon him to some well, it's really I don't interesting know. To, I, I don't know if they when do. you say you know. with his endorsements and, and for the time being I, I don't think he I don't think he's gone to a place and I if I had to guess he won't go to a place where he starts losing endorsements between the fact that I think a lot of these companies no, I don't think that'll happen are either. becoming more supportive of their players and he's Carmelo Anthony I mean, you have to really think twice. He's more powerful uh, than a lot of the – Right. You know, he has an enormous amount of influence. Right. You have to really think twice about cutting a guy like Carmelo Anthony loose from your brand. But what I think is really interesting, though, is just two off-seasons ago, right around this time, Mello did an ESPN The Magazine story about how conscious, really, he was of his brand and how much it was, you know, in part signing in New York had to do with – what it could do with his brand and with mm-hmm. his platform and, you know, wanting to get into tech and the different things like, you know, different ways that he wanted to use his platform, you know, for himself right. in you a lot of ways. If this, if it, and I, I it's, th- just, it's just interesting to see that with a, in particular with a guy like Carmelo Anthony. You know, even though like LeBron James obviously cares about his brand and, you sure know, LeBron is arguably the, most, arguably the most powerful athlete brand in the world – but LeBron had been go- LeBron also had been pretty been pretty comfortable with going into a lot of different social issues and and I think we saw that at least more openly from him before we saw it with Mello not that Mello had never sort of dipped his toe in that water before but you saw it you I know think what it is, I, though. you saw more openly and that's why I think it's more striking with Mello I think though and this this happens all, all the time where people conflate 
the way a guy plays on the court with his intelligence, with his you know stance on social issues, whatever it might be. So I think to some degree, people are like, oh, what's what's Carmelo doing talking about this kind of stuff? You know, because he is seen as a selfish player. He's seen as a ball stopper. He's seen, you know, as a guy who's not a champion or a, you know a, a, a player who can carry it. Whatever it is. I think some of the some of the the reaction that we have as sports fans to the things that that athletes say about non sports things we tie to what kind of player are you? Not even good or bad, but like literally, what kind? How do you play on the field, on the court, or whatever? I I think what he's found is that you can do both. When you reach the level of of, of a Mello or a LeBron or a Kobe or whatever, you can be socially active and still have your because people in venture capital still want Carmelo Anthony's money, you know, even if he's outspoken about police issues. Kevin Durant, in a recent interview, Brian, with Rolling Stone, admitted that had the Warriors ended up winning the championship this year, he would not have gone. And, but he said, you know, seeing them end up losing Game 7, quote, it felt like the whole thing was set up for me to leave, especially after that blue, after they blew the lead in the finals because I damn sure wasn't going there if they won. But after Game 7, I called up my agent and said, damn, dude, Golden State, what if? I mean, this is something that I think pretty much everybody assumed. I mean, because Durant took a lot of crap joining this team, and right. it was going to take a lot of crap either way. But I really don't think he could have gotten away with it in terms of the aesthetics. Right. The optics are terrible. The, the optics are terrible. The aesthetics are terrible. But also, I don't think – it would have been hard probably for him to sell himself on doing it, no, no matter what people would have thought of it. Like to join the team that ju- you know, forget that just beat you, that just won. Then you really kind of feel like a freeloader. <laughs> I mean, oh, you to totally. To there's just there's no way you could do it. And I, I, this whole thing with Katie is 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 going to fascinate because I, I we'll get to this in a second with the the, the GM survey and just how dominant people think that Golden State's going to be. You know, I what fascinates me about him going there isn't so much the. You know, is he is he going to get credit for it? Is he trying to cheat his way to a title? Like I don't, I think he understands that ten years from now, if he's got three rings, he's Kevin Durant with three rings, and you can sit there and argue and say he went to the stack team or whatever, but he's going to come out way further ahead with two or three rings than he would have staying in Oklahoma City, maybe having one, probably having none. Like you, having the rings changes the conversation and you get to you get to own that narrative a lot more because you at the very least you can drop those things on the table and say look I got them take them try to take them away from me if you want I got them but the reasons why he went you know and and the the Kobe you know the Kobe Byron Scott whatever you want to define it People who are like, you know, the individual lone wolf athlete who only wants obstacles in front of them and treats every thing like an American Ninja Warrior course or whatever it might be, those people are going to look at the decision to say, I want to go somewhere where it's collaborative. I want to go somewhere where it's a group, where I am part of the machine instead of the machine and and succeed there. Like That's going to be a, a more enjoyable place for me to thrive than trying to be the guy in Oklahoma City or whatever it might be. People are going to look at that as weakness. I see it as part of this larger trend to how people like to interact with each other at any workplace, much more now than they used to. Like The whole dynamic is different, and KD is expressing that 
in basketball. I think he wants to go somewhere where Steph can carry the load some nights and he gets to move the ball and he gets to pass to Clay and he's part of this thing where they can go up and down the floor and it's not going to be about him where he may not get all the credit if they win. I'm not sure he necessarily wants because I don't think he wants all the criticism when they lose. Well, it's also, too, and I, I don't disagree with what you're saying there, but I think it's also an extension of what we've seen the last few years from a lot of these guys. And I think a, this really kind of began with the way LeBron went to Miami and joined the Big Three when he wanted to do the Big Three thing. Then he went back to Cleveland um, when he decided he wanted to go back to Cleveland, but definitely on his terms. And For I think sure. he could see the machinations of what Cleveland was going to turn into before he did this, you know, this was not him just saying, "All right, I'm going to put, I'm going to put my, all my eggs in the prime of my career in Dan Gilbert's basket." And he'll, I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll come up with something good for right. us. Right, but what we've seen with LeBron is very much my legacy is going to be what I decide it is, and if it makes me happy, I don't give a damn what the rest of you all think. And it's not that I think LeBron isn't conscious of what people say about him, or you know, obviously he cares. But he's looking to please himself first mm-hmm. before he worries about the critics. Because I think LeBron figured out a while back, I will never make everybody Ever. happy. It's very clear that Durant thought about you know the optics of all this. But it was first and foremost the optics of how he would feel about right. it. How he would feel about looking like the guy who joined you know the two-time defending champions that took him out. How, you know, what taste does that leave in my mouth? Once I get the taste in my mouth that I want, I'm not going to worry about what everyone else thinks because ultimately I'll never please everyone. But it reflects it, re- it reflects, and I wonder what it's going to look like in 10 years, like how we're going to have these conversations about what makes an athlete tough or or you know strong or all. It, it, strength generally, what is strong has been a, a major theme of the election season. You know what, what is the right? How do you project strength and what is what does strength mean? And I think athletes. We're, we're in ten years. Are we going to look at an athlete who says, "I want to be part of a group. I don't need to be the alpha, the Michael Jordan, or whatever," and, and to, for for my success to be validated? Right now, I think in in hot take sports radio, that is the weak position. In fifteen years, I wonder if that will be. In fifteen years, there may be no hot takes. There may be no sports radio. <laughs> That's probably going to be the case. All right, Andy, so the, the GM survey, the N- annual NBA.com GM survey is out and always some interesting things to unpack there. We'll get to the things um, regarding the Lakers because they do pop up in a couple places. Um, they are not going to win a title. Well, at least not in, the eye. Not, not in the eyes of GMs. Right. They still could. Uh, but there are, there are a few things that stick out just sort of kind of league-wide that, 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 that jumped out to me. And the first one is... When you go through and they say, who do you anticipate winning the the title this year and the standings and all that kind of stuff, not surprisingly, 97% of Eastern Conference GMs said Cleveland, or the NBA GMs said Cleveland would win the, the uh, East, 97% said uh, Golden State in the West. Basically, one person took San Antonio, one person took Boston. It's But when you start to look at these teams listed in order – you kind of see like what it really sinks in why everyone says it's basically over before it starts because in the east Toronto is 60% of the vote from GMs to come in second Boston 
um, is right there at third, you know, a fairly close third. In the West, San Antonio, 77% to finish second, with the Clippers, 23% third. Do you look at any of those four teams, Andy, and say they have a real shot to beat Cleveland, to beat Golden State, assuming either of those teams, that the injuries don't kill those teams? Because I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think any of those teams have a prayer. It doesn't feel like it. I mean, the. I will say this. I think Cleveland could be vulnerable because LeBron is looking to go to his seventh straight final, and at, at some point, this is going to catch up with him. And Toronto managed to push Cleveland to six games, and by that point, I actually think Cleveland was done screwing around. I think they actually got legitimately pushed to six games, and that was with um, Damari Carroll still not entirely healthy. But they won. If I remember, they won that game six pretty easily, didn't they? But but the point being, though, they still they still they pushed, still play them right. They still had to play them, and they they you know Cleveland was the better team, and I never thought that they were going to end up losing the series. But the point is, they got they got a legit challenge from Toronto, and that was with Damari Carroll, the best guy to actually throw at LeBron. Not entirely healthy, and I don't remember uh, about Valanchunas's availability, but I know he had been up and he was, down. He was banged up. He was banged up as well. I think if there's a team that can maybe be in a position to take advantage of Cleveland, if LeBron just hits a wall, it could be Toronto. It could be. Look, I mean, but, and that's, I think that's Boston's a, that's good, a but right, I mean, but that's a to me that's a not health assumed. That's like a real thing because at some point going to the finals this many times in a row. You know, we saw it with the Lakers when yeah. they were look when they were looking I, to go to three straight. I don't buy it. I I look I think I think that if you if you if you frame the question, you know, in the sense of could Toronto finish ahead of Cleveland in the regular that's, season? That's not what I'm talking about. Right, I'm saying, but I'm, I'm not saying you I mean the Royal you. If you sure. if, if that were the question, I would say, okay, that I buy. Because it wouldn't shock me if Cleveland sat LeBron. No, I don't think Cleveland, I don't think they, Cleveland is going to finish first in the in the East. There you go. I don't think they have any interest in. it. I don't think they care. I think they will find fifteen games for LeBron to to be in street clothes. Sure, and you know for, they'll protect Kyrie. But I'm but I'm just if, thinking about ways that Cleveland could be vulnerable, and to me that is one of them. I mean, Maybe. at some at some point, it may not be this year, but at some point, this yes. is going to catch up to LeBron. Seven straight. Is really unbelievable. difficult. It That's is. real. I don't care if you. I don't basketball. care if you've been in the East the entire time. The mileage alone is brutal. It's an extra season's worth of basketball. And we Easy. and we saw, by the way, last year that LeBron those minutes were starting to catch up to him. Yeah, you know I mean, no, not question. that he didn't play well, but it was physically wearing. And, on and him. you look in the West and you say, oh well, look. I mean, the the Warriors almost lost. They were down three one. They had to come back, and. That's true. They feel less vulnerable to me. The, right. The team they lost to was Oklahoma City, or almost lost to was Oklahoma City, and they took their best player. Right. They, they to me, seem much less vulnerable. Yeah, with, without, do you think San, San Antonio can't? No, no. Actually, actually, I feel like the Clippers should be better than San Antonio. And the Clippers can't get out of the second round, and they're not better than they were last year. No. So you're going to tell me... Well, you they know, may, could they be a conference final team this they, year? Team? They yeah, may, maybe because the rest of the conference. I was going to say they they may not be better. The Clippers may not be better than they were last year. What they're hoping for is that they're healthier in the playoffs, right? And the rest of the conference is worse. But they're not good. They, they're not even kind of on the same level as Golden. Doesn't State. feel like it. Definitely doesn't feel like it. So that's that's 
one of the things that stuck out to me when you go through this and you sort of see everybody making their votes and you and you and you're putting it together as like damn like there is a reason that Golden State is like a one to three favorite you know you have to bet three bucks to win one to you know, at Vegas to win a title this year I mean they replaced Harrison Barnes they were they were a, a we most people agree a, a Draymond Green unmentionable kick from winning a second straight title. Certainly could have been. And they they replaced Harrison Barnes, currently averaging four points a game in the preseason for Dallas, with Kevin freaking Durant. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They, to me, do not look vulnerable. I, th- I do think Cleveland has a certain vulnerability. But I, Golden State does not. They have a potential vulnerability. Other thing, other thing that jumped out at me, question, if you were the starting, fran- uh, starting a franchise today and could sign any player in the NBA, who would it be? Uh, LeBron James, 17%. Kevin Durant, 20%. Carl Anthony Towns, 49%. Here's what I think is interesting about that with Towns, because I absolutely understand why he would get that type of percentage, because that kid is a wrecking machine already on both sides of the ball. He is amazing to watch play. And he, he alone gives Minnesota the best. They've got the best supply of young talent. And, you know, he alone, even not counting Wiggins, not counting Dunn, not counting Levine, Carl Anthony Towns by himself makes them the clubhouse leader. What I do wonder, though, about with Carl Anthony Towns is if all of our expectations risk kind of Anthony Davising him, if you understand what I mean. Because, like, Anthony Davis, there was so many – the expectations for Davis after his rookie year were so high because he's so talented – and through some reasons not entirely his own, he's now seen a little bit as underwhelming. Well, some of that, but some of that's injury related. Some of that's I mean, injury so related. If, some if, of it's the team, if, right? But, but if Davis stays healthy, sure, it's a different. If it, it, it's a different discussion, but, and if but, the Pelicans but, but don't you, suck, it's right? A but discussion. but you see now though, people starting to pick apart Davis's game a little bit more, a little bit, you, or you see people go, why is he? Why is why are they putting him out in, at three point range when two years ago is oh my god, and he's going to take three pointers? You're going to all of a sudden right, Anthony Davis can shoot thirty six percent. This is why if sports radio is gone in fifteen years, it may not be such a bad thing because you know we we're talking about a guy last year twenty four ten. 24 and 10 with two blocks a game and a 25 per. Some of that's just our own stupidity. No, I get that. I'm just saying that that's, that is the one, I guess, sort of concern if it even qualifies or needs to be a concern. Sure. I'm interested. I, I don't I'm think it's, it's not a concern. I just think I'm, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how these narratives sometimes shift and turn and stuff. And depending on how he plays this year, it'll be interesting to see. If we're able to keep any type of relative perspective, but that has with nothing. To, but that has nothing to do with Carl Anthony Towns. No. That's a that's a concern for about how we're going to talk Look, about him. If I had to choose a team, if I had to choose a player right now to start a franchise, I'd start with Carl oh, Anthony yeah. Towns because he he's the perfect modern NBA big man. Right, and he's twelve years old, and he's already transcendently good. Like you know, a top he's, he's a top so ten good. guy in the NBA now. He's so good, and so you start there. But your your concern is a valid one for what kind of what we do. But it has nothing to do with him. No. And we'll pick apart his game and why isn't he perfect and, you know, whatever. But, I mean, you know. And, hey, look, for all for Michael all Jordan I, could have hit more shots. For all like, that, he could have been better. For all that I said, though, with Anthony Davis in the same GM survey, he comes out number one for best power forward in the NBA. Right. So, I guess I guess maybe I should, give, I should give all the hot takers a little more credit. Yeah, maybe. And then, finally, Luke Walton uh, was 
fourth in the which new or relocated coach will make the biggest impact this season behind Tom Thibodeau, Frank Vogel, Mike D'Antoni, and and so those three. And that makes some sense because those are teams that in theory could rise up and make the playoffs. Interesting note about Walton came from the story in ESPN the Magazine by Ethan Sherwood Strauss where he was looking at Draymond Green. And it's kind of it's it's this isn't important for the story in terms of Walton, but it mentions that Steve Kerr came back probably a little earlier than his than he wanted to medically because the Warriors were getting a little bit loose, they were starting to take too many liberties, and somebody needed to come back in and, and get control of the group. It doesn't concern me at all. I mean, at some point, if if you are a student. And you go four months with a substitute teacher. Correct. At some point, the substitute teacher, no matter how qualified that teacher is, how respected that teacher is, how much the students genuinely enjoy being around that substitute teacher. Still the substitute. It's still the substitute. I, and I and know it, I've done this. I've been a regular sub. I've walked into the classroom for a day. I've walked in there where I'm the guy and they know I'm going to be there for four months. And you are exactly right. At some point, at some point, the fact that Luke Walton was the substitute teacher. That's going to start sinking sinking in. It's not the same thing no matter how much you respect Walton, no matter how much, you know, Draymond Green has talked about how, you know, really bonding with Walton and Walton being a guy that, you know, he really learned a lot from. He's still the substitute. And at some point that you're it's going to start sinking in. You know what, man? He ain't, he ain't really our coach. So, no, right. it doesn't concern me at all. And here's the other reason that I think Lakers fans should be okay with it. You obviously be great if the report was in Walton, you know, managed every personality perfectly. And then you know, Steve Kerr got to take an extra three weeks off because everything was going so well. But the, the flip side of it is, too, Walton was coaching a team with enormous expectations with a guy who was the MVP, a team coming off a title. You had Clay, you had veterans, you had, you had all these people, and a lot of guys with – some juice in the NBA. And he had to control that in a team with this team has no expectations and nobody has any juice. So, you know, there the the veterans aren't the kind of guys who are going to challenge his authority. The rookies don't have the the ability to do it. The young guys, I mean D'Angelo Russell, we all think I you know he's going to be a really good player. But he's not that guy yet. I mean if if he starts challenging Walton and being then he loses. He's not going to come out ahead in that exchange. No, and especially, too, right now, D'Angelo, who seems hyper, in a good way, hyper aware of his reputation and a reputation that needs to be changed. D'Angelo seems right now, like, right now at least, like the last guy who's going to be testing Walton. If anything, he seems like the guy who's going to be trying to please Luke Walton as much as he can. So even when it gets to that part where... You know things are not as it's not as rosy as they are now, and everybody loves Luke, and Luke has to put the hammer down, and guys, he's going to do things that guys don't like. The context is different. The fact that the Lakers don't have those expectations and aren't the same team, and they don't have the stars and all that, that's going to give Walton the the room to grow with everybody else, so that when they reach that spot, hopefully everybody's still on that same page where Walton's got juice. And the players got juice, and everybody's at the same level. Yeah, so it does not concern me at all. It's actually, I think, pretty predictable. Um, Nick Young, Andy, has turned into, I think, maybe maybe the biggest story of the preseason for the Lakers. I think there's no question. I mean, he's at the Most very least, I was going to say, at the very least, Nick Young not just being on this team, but seemingly in the rotation and having played himself into that rotation – 
is something nobody saw coming. And he's legitimately played well. He's been energetic on both sides of the ball. He is actually, by Nick Young's standards, busting his ass on defense. He is really trying to make a difference on defense. He is, by Nick Young's standards, moving the ball. I love, right, and it's all it all comes with caveats. But it, yes, it does. You're right. But I mean, but not, you, you look at what he did on uh, Wednesday night. Started in place of Luol Deng, who was sitting and got the DNP old. Um, 7 of 13 from the floor. 5 of 10 from <coughs> three-point range. 19 points. Three rebounds, two assists, two steals. It's I legit mean, good. Damn, man. Here's the thing, though, with... With Nick, and again, and nobody would claim this was not a surprising development. I mean, I most... was shocked when, when we went over at Media Day and he emerged from the locker room. I was shocked. Even though I knew he hadn't been released, I still expected him not to be on the team. Yeah, and, and at this, you know, I mean, clearly now, I mean, he is expected to be on the team. You would not give him this type, oh, these type of minutes yeah. in the preseason. So the idea that he's going to get stretched at the very least this year out the window, I still think if they actually get an offer for him, he's gone. They actually well, get sure. an offer that they, you know, is halfway decent. He's They'll, gone. If they got one for Lou Williams, he'd be sure that that's right. different. But the element of this that makes it maybe not as surprising as it seems is the last good season Nick Young had was the year that he played for Mike D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni's last season. And Nick Young played pretty well. And that was in part because he, he genuinely loved playing for D'Antoni. And D'Antoni really liked Nick. And Nick Young... They're like peas and carrots. Well, I mean, Dan Tony runs a system that really right. I mean, that is, is that tail. If Nick Young didn't like playing for Mike D'Antoni, that would be weird. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is the coaching equivalent of Nick, Young, Nick Young's spirit animal. But, but, I mean, Nick, by his standards... Move the ball around. He averaged a robust 1.5 assists per game, Isn't which that is like a, pretty close to a career high. No, it's not pretty close. It is a career high. It is a career high for Nick Young. Greatness. He was also playing defense, or at least by his by standards. Nick Young standards. And I remember one time I asked Dan Tony what was different about this year with Nick Young than other years, and Dan Tony said flat out, "He's trying." Right, and he's so, trying. And, and this year, I, he. He he is trying yes. for Walton, and he wants to please Walton, and he's somebody also he wants to stay in L.A. He wants to stay in L.A. He, frankly, wants to stay in the league because if he gets waived, I don't think it's a given that he gets picked up. I think he probably would, but it's not a given. No. And I think Nick, you know, as much as he screws around, I think gets the idea that this could be his last chance, at the very least, to stay in L.A., and he's making good on it. I mean, to, to his credit, he's it, it, he is making good on this opportunity. This is one of the most sh- – I mean, I guess you're right. You should look at it and say, okay, if there was a guy last year that didn't match with with Byron and you start with D'Angelo, well, who would be next? And the answer is Nick Young. It's just that nobody cared because Nick is Nick and he's not fundamental to the future of the organization and all that stuff. But – you know, you're right. You go back to D'Antoni, and he played well there. But there's no reason he can't be a, you know, a, at least passable defender at times, because he's long. He's a big guy, and he's got he's athletic, and he can move, and he can do that stuff. He just never gave a bleep before, like never tried. Like I'm telling you, Andy, if Luke Walton can get him to average one steal or like half a steal and and an assist a game, he deserves Coach of the Year award. 
Yeah, it's first time that ever happened right. on like a 22-win team. I mean, right now it seems like he has solidified himself a role in the rotation. You know, I imagine coming off the bench, he, he could possibly end up the, the backup two guard to Lou Williams. You know, it well would, Clarkson. Oh, uh, Clarkson, I'm picturing as the point. Like I, I could picture and then Calderon just and those guys just like they right, play. But the addition of like 15 minutes a night for Nick Young does interesting things to the rotation. Yeah, I mean, well, does he? T- I think those minutes come from Lou more than anyone else because those guys are, I think, fairly redundant. But you're right. Like nobody, nobody factored in 18 minutes a game from Nick Young. Right. Because it, it, right now, if Nick started. Young, if Nick Young keeps playing defense the way he's attempting to. He is an upgrade clearly over Huertas or Calderon, and he's shooting right now is probably about as well as either one would. Certainly, he's shooting better than Huertas. Right. If you Huertas can, if isn't you, a shooter to begin with. If you with. can get away with Clarkson playing the point, and I don't know if you can, but I understand what, you, I understand what you're saying. Like, I think he probably The could. minute's got to come from someone, but kudos to Nick, yeah. who we spend a lot of time teasing, always with the caveat that we think he's a really good guy. Yeah, but, I like I mean, Nick. You know, but I'll say it again. Do you want... Is it a great thing when your 30-year-old guard has a tendency to hang out with all your teenagers? Well, no. He definitely should not be allowed to be a mentor. Right. I mean, I don't care what type of attitude he's, he's exhibiting on the court Still and what type of effort. No. No. I mean, I, I'm a little bit disturbed that he, he and Brandon Ingram have actually been introduced. <laughs> like, I, I was actually hoping that, that they'd somehow create some type of workaround where the two of them are never in the same place at the same time. Right. <laughs> It's funny. I, I mean, the, the like damage. They, like they bring one guy. Like when when Ingram is not in the game and Young is not in the game, one of them is in the tunnel. Yeah, I mean, look, they're it, like back in the locker room. The damage has already been done in the sense that Randall Clarkson and Russell they've met Nick <laughs> and they and they know him and they've spent time around him. They they've gone out with him socially. Yeah, and to some it degree, you know, you can't put you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. But there was a chance for Ingram and Zubats, particularly Ingram. I mean, it really, really matters. So I, I was hoping that somehow they would just, you know, they would try to they would try to stage this so the two of them would never really be around each other. It's Hasn't very worked, difficult yeah. to do. Uh, one more thing. You need a bigger staff. One more thing before we get to uh, our last couple items. The 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 um, it's some interesting stuff. Some more scouts and GMs and all that. And ESPN had their five by five or whatever five on five they call it, um, where they talk about different you know perceptions of the team and and one of the recurring themes was Randall and the perception around the league of Randall I'll read from the Sports Illustrated thing um and it's a bunch of different scouts yeah, a bunch of scouts talking about their um about the team uh here's one the best case scenario for them is that Russell becomes a high level starter Ingram is in the rookie of the year mix and they get a clear sense for how Randall fits in their long term plans all of those things could happen and they still might not win 25 games so already there's some quest that by the way is true um but there's you see even a little bit of a questioning of like what do they do with Julius Randall it gets worse a lot of people don't like Randall uh, quote, I'm not a lot. Of, I'm not a Randall fan, so I would just start Ingram and Deng together and see what happens throwing him into the fire. Why baby Ingram? Why baby him? Another one. Maybe Walton sees Randall as a Draymond Green type. He can dribble, but he, can he make the reads? Randall definitely plays hard, which is a skill, but otherwise there's a lot of work to do. He can't really shoot it, and he's not the best finisher. He's easy to guard. Uh, another one. Quote, Randall looks like a six man to me. And then you go to the, the ESPN article, and there's a, a lot more doubt about Randall. Yeah, uh, Jeremiah, I, Jeremiah Engelman, by the way, uh, 
said, quote, I'm not very high on Julius Randle, whose game reminds me too much of former number one pick Anthony Bennett. That I that's harsh. harsh. <laughs> that, I saw that. That's, that bo- that's both harsh and uh, inaccurate. I was going to say, no disrespect to uh, Engelman. That, that's Anthony way Bennett the hell not off. Be, would not be <laughs> playing on his 11th that's way team. the hell off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come no. on, man. No. That is not right. But it. The, 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 I don't even know if Anthony Bennett ever got a double double. There aren't <laughs> a lot of guys though, that are as sort of as I don't want to say polarizing because that overstates how much time people spend talking about Julius Randle. But where I think there's a, a, a variance of opinion of what he can be because I was on Spectrum the other night. And I, I understand you know the audience and the and the outlet, but it's the can he be the next Draymond? And no. Not until he gets to be, you know, the runner-up for the defensive player. Although, I mean, it is, it is. I, I'll let you continue, but it is important to remember that when Draymond came in the league, Draymond won Draymond either. No, Draymond's first couple of years in the league, he didn't do much at all. No, but he, but he was a good defender. He was a good defender, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't forty percent shooting from three-point range, fifteen, ten, and eight guy. But sure, he was a good defender. That's fine. But Randall came into the league able to rebound like one of the best rebounders in the league. So that counts for something. Right. But I, he struggles. Randall, I don't know. I, I, I'm with a lot of, I don't know exactly how good he is because in, I was talking about this with Travis Rogers last night on the uh, postgame show. What happens, Randall right now, like this scout says, works really hard, which is in fact a skill. That is something that you, you be doing that every night separates you from a lot of players. I wonder what happens, and I think Randall is good for you know fourteen and nine throughout a season, which makes him a very valuable player. I don't know if the playmaking skills totally start to translate. I don't know if his offensive game starts to really broaden out, and I really don't know if he develops into the kind of defender that could elevate him into something in the at least on the same road as Draymond Green. I agree with because that. that's what makes Draymond. Special. I agree. When you get to the Lakers, or when, at that point where the Lakers become a good team, and you start to play in the playoffs, and you start to play against really good competition when everybody is playing as hard as they can all the time, if if Randall hasn't really developed the skill set, and he has gotten by because he does out-hustle people for three or four rebounds a game and gets putbacks and stuff like that, those numbers are going to go down in the playoffs because Everyone's going to be working hard, and everyone's going to be, and the defense is going to be ratcheted up that much. And he, if he, you know, he struggles right now to score inside against size. Well, that's going to get harder. So I don't know what I know what numbers I think he can put up on this Lakers team, but I don't know what numbers I think he can put up on a good team. I guess it just, against good. Competition I guess it just depends. Games. It depends on how much you think. For example, that playmaking ability, which he really wants, he wants to develop. wants to do it, which is important. And he's got, he doesn't have the court vision yet to do it, but he does have the handle. He has an outstanding handle for a guy his size. That's why they call him Randall the Handle. Um, but I was also thinking about, too, like in the, way, in the way you make, I guess, sort of a judgment on how he's progressing or how good he could be. Like I was looking at other seventh overall picks. Like, in trying to just figure out, like, okay, does he seem like he's tracking okay? Does he, and, and this is an inexact way to do it, admittedly. But you're looking at guys taken around that time where you would think they would have at least similar expectations. Like, do you think right now who's tracking to be a better player, him or Emmanuel Moody? Moutier. Randall? Maybe. I think it's about, I think it's a wash. I think either one of those guys, I think they both have a decent amount of potential to be good players. Randall or Ben McLemore? 
I'm going to go. Ben Mclemore is tracking the same as regular Mclemore, so that's not <laughs> that's not good for Ben Mclemore. Uh, so yeah, Randall, R- Randall or Harrison Barnes? Oh, R- Randall, Randall, twenty-one year old Julius Randall. Yeah, absolutely. Randall or Bismack Biombo? I think Randall has a chance to be a better, more well-rounded player. Absolutely, yeah. I agree. I mean. Biombo may be better at defense than Randall ever is at anything other than rebounding, but I think Randall has a chance to be a be more better effective, right, right, a more effective overall player. Randall or Greg Monroe? That's two years ago. I would have said Monroe right, in a walk, but, that, but that's an interesting one too because Greg, he's not a star, but he's a good player. Like if Randall turned into Monroe, would that be terrible? No, I wouldn't. That's a pretty think. good player. Yeah, obviously, next one, Steph Curry clearly wins that one. Uh, Eric Gordon. If Gordon didn't get, if Gordon, Gordon hadn't gotten hurt, Gordon, Randall or Corey Brewer, Randall, Randall or Randy Foy, Randall. So do you see what I'm getting at? Like Randall or Charlie Villanueva, no, uh, Randall. I don't get. No, explain it. I'm kidding. <laughs> I do get it. You know, I mean, you know, that's going back ten, 10 or so years. years. Like Randall actually may be tracking into the type of guy that you typically pick around that range. Right. Which the, shows is it's like. Seventh picks when you start how transcendent players generally one two three four right and again this is, is this is right. inexact I mean Kawhi Leonard's one you know top five player in the league and he was I think the sixteenth overall pick or something of course, like that there are exceptions Paul George is an exception but, but you know what I mean speaking, like when you, right when you look at this Randall doesn't seem to be behind the curve no we just have really high expectations for what the curve is right and also the the there are real stakes to Randall's development for the Lakers. But I just thought that was an interesting way of looking at it. It is. It is, for sure. Um, but I, 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 there, of all the guys, though, I think, you know, particularly you saw what we saw, you know, the, with uh, the game on Wednesday with Ingram, 21 points, but also seven rebounds. I think he had four assists. He was moving the ball. He had three steals. It's like, okay, we see it. And like, you know, when it comes for him, it could come quickly. I think most people are still on the Brandon Ingram is going to be a very good NBA player. Is he going to be a transcendent superstar? Nobody knows. But I think most people don't think he's going to suck. I think with Randall, there's still that space. Is he really just a sixth man? Is he a seventh man on a good team? Is he going to be neutralized? Or could he really become Draymond Green? That's a, that's a lot of space. I think most people agree that he's a solid NBA player, which means you've already kind of you kind of won. It's you just know, it's degree. just the expectations that come with being. You know, he was the first lottery pick that the Lakers had had in a long time. Right, since first Andrew Bynum. One, right, since Andrew Bynum. And also, again, just the stakes for him with the Lakers. The stakes right now with him and Russell and Ingram matter a lot. Yeah. I mean, Clarkson's a little bit like found money. But, you know, th- those top right. those so lottery Clarkson picks. Clarkson maxes they, out as a six man. It's a great. Right. All right cool. But, we got you know, a six man. With those three round. lottery picks, there are a lot of stakes. Uh, I agree. Uh, so that, that'll be something to to continue tracking as the season begins next week. Uh, Andy, this is an annual thing that we do now, and it's time to do it. It is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations yes. have been released. And I know this is one of your favorite times of the year. And so we will uh, – I have the list in front of me of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame I find it fun even though I never actually watched bands. the induction ceremony. No. And I, are there rules – like, it's not like baseball where you can only have like eight guys get in. Like – I don't know I don't the know. answer to that. But what so we're going to do... For our purposes, we'll say, we'll say no. I'm going to go through the list, and we will decide. You know, this is I, I treat this like I do Sports Hall of Fame. It's a gut reaction. They belong in or they don't belong in. I'm curious to where our, uh, you know, our overlap is. We'll start with Bad Brains. Yes. Their, their influence in punk is huge. 
They, yeah, I'm they not a punk cons- guy, so I don't know. No, they were considered a seminal punk band. So I will defer to you. Yeah, I think Bad Brains absolutely uh, – For influence, not necessarily – Well, I mean, you know, look. I mean, most punk bands don't end up selling, you know – quintuple platinum albums i mean you know there's why they're punk bands right but but they are though you know and plus two they they were an interesting band in the sense that they were a black punk rock band which really is unusual you know that, that's, that's true um and also too they just they were they were hugely influential on that scene um all right shaka khan it's interesting with her like you know because i think you include her time in rufus i suppose I don't. I don't know. I don't think Rufus has been nominated. I don't think so. She seems borderline to me. I think she's a no. I like her. Enormously I, talented. I like Shaka Khan. It, it's, Shaka Khan. <laughs> Shaka Khan. She seems borderline to me. I although, although I, I can get where she'd get inducted. Yeah. No. I mean, she's wildly talented. Yes. Chic. They're kind of the Susan Lucci. Of the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I believe this is their 11th straight nomination. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, I Sheik mean. Sheik does not belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, I guess, I guess to some degree it comes down to how important do you think disco was? <laughs> and I was reading. Relative, I mean. I was reading an interesting article, question. actually. Uh, you know, uh, Nile Rodgers, their, their producer, is considered like one of the all-time great right. producers. He, I think already is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm not sure if he is or he, isn't. He, he, Nile Rodgers could deserve to be in you know. He is associated with Sheik, with Cool and the Gang, with Sister Sledge, with Diana Ross, with Luther Vandross. I mean, there he's attached to a lot of important bands and and artists. They feel lightweight to me. Yeah, they they feel lightweight. Although it would be nice if Rogers somehow got acknowledged because he was super super talented. So it'd be nice if he got in. I don't know if I, I don't know if we necessarily need Sheik in there. Although they'd probably be a fun performance. Um. Let's see. Depeche Mode. Yes. I agree. Depe- I, I don't particularly like them, but Depeche Mode should be in there. Their, their influence in New Wave is huge. Uh, uh, the Electric Light Orchestra. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That seems silly to me. I, mean, I, like don't, I like Don't Bring Me Down, but I mean, come on. I, I know they did more than that. I know they did more than that, but no, not, ELO not enough more. ELO does not, to me, feel like a rock and roll Hall of Fame band. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Jay Giles, I like them. They don't feel they're like not even no. close. They're way too lightweight. Freeze Frame, Centerfold. These are great songs. Some, yeah, I mean, some of their older blues stuff is it's fun. It's good. They don't. Peter Wolf's an interesting guy. They they don't feel rock and roll Hall of Fame. Jane's Addiction. I've been going back and forth on them. Because I like Jane's, and there was a period where I loved Jane's, but I have to say their music is not aging as well as I would have thought it is what I would have said in like two thousand. Some of I mean, there's still I, I it's very I pull up four or five songs from Nothing Shocking. Part of it is that the, it's they they run into a little bit of a Guns and Roses problem in the sense of yes they do. It's there's not a lot of catalog to the catalog. No, no, it, it's a it's a small catalog, you know. They also too their their music and again I like I like Jane's I've seen Jane's in concert a few times. Their music isn't very timeless. It's very of its time. It's not like Electric Light. <laughs> yeah, which clearly I mean that just you hear ELO now and it feels as fresh as it did in nineteen seventy. <laughs> I think Jane's is borderline. I'm putting them in. See, I guess I, I think when you combine the fact that you their influence at the time, their impact at the time, with the fact. That you know, I, I, some of it's still pretty 
good. It is. And but again, the influence. They were a monumentally influential band. They were. They definitely were. I, I, I think they're borderline, but I'm cool with them being in there. It is interesting, though, that now, I mean, you could argue Perry Farrell, like his impact, you could say is bigger with Lollapalooza than with Chains. Possible. Uh, Joan Baez. Um, I, feel like, I feel like there are enough people inducted who basically are Joan Baez. No. Like, Joni Mitchell needs to be in there. Right. Joan Baez... I mean, it's like the Leonard Cohen of Joni Mitchell's. <laughs> I mean, she, look, if you want to put her in, I'm not going to argue, but make some, some feel hippies necessary. feel good. Yeah. Uh, I forgot Janet Jackson. Yes. Yeah, Janet Jackson you. should be in. I agree with you. Yeah. Like if it's actually, I think I saw Bomani Jones uh, talking about this. Like if you start to look over her entire disc- discography, it's pretty staggering the amount of hits that she had. Janet Jackson, like it's easy to forget because, you know, she's been largely out of the public eye, you know, ever since Nipplegate. Like, it's easy to forget how huge she was for Oh, she a was a BFD. Like, a really, really yes. BFD. Yeah, she, she belongs in there for like sure. Like, Rhythm Nation, just, as, just, just Rhythm Nation, in terms of the sensation that that thing was. Yes. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think in, the, in that sort of gut... Yes or no? She definitely struck me as a yes. Joe Tex? No, no. <laughs> I, no I'm actually, I got you. Is a great song. I'm actually shocked he even got the, he even got yeah, I, on this list. Journey. I feel like Journey's getting like the benefit of like kitsch and sort of a renaissance. Well, Journey and, like, is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame of karaoke, right? And like you know, and Steve Perry showing up to like Giants games and right. no, but they are, no, and and that scene in Monster, right? No. Which is a good scene. It is a good scene. No <laughs> yeah. is the answer to that question. And no. maybe I know that's going to be an unpopular thing with the Camaro crowd. Yes. But with the, with the, the three-quarter sleeve crowd. Right. Mullets. Yes. <laughs> people with mullets and Thunderbirds. People who like to have the lighter out of the concert. I, I don't. And like, if you put Journey in, I think you could get away with it because they do have some monumental hits. But people don't people don't love Journey because the music is really good. They love Journey because the music is just bad enough that you can you can really get into it and enjoy it with no consequence. True story. Um, in the mid '90s, when I used to wait tables at Chin Chin, I waited on Steve Perry, and he came in wearing like a powder blue sleeveless uh, like Billabong type shirt and jams like straight out like he was still in 1983. Like 1985, still had sort of that mullet. He was a complete bleephole. <laughs> he was an absolute high maintenance bleephole. He required like a ramekin of every single sauce <laughs> in the restaurant. He, I swear to God, I swear he did this. But he I'll- ordered he ordered his pot stickers steamed al dente. <laughs> <laughs> to which I said, uh, you'd be lucky. If, <laughs> you'd be lucky if they're not steamed in urine. Said, you know, I mean, like, what a douchey request I, that I is. I'm fairly certain that that request <laughs> is not going to get met. Al <laughs> dente. He actually requested them. You, know, you could give them any. You, you give him any pots. You know, perfect. Thank you. Like it just that is such a uh, seven number one albums for Janet Jackson. Used to also too uh, regularly wait on Danny Elfman, who was very. Very nice. Ordered the same thing every single too. time. He's a regimented eater. Yeah. Um, he seems like an odd dude. <laughs> he was nice. Danny sure, Elfman was but, very nice. Um, Steve, yeah. Steve Perry, insufferable. Yeah. So again, seven number one albums. That was the number I couldn't come up with for Janet Jackson. But the, the seven, that's 
number one. That's pretty good. That gets you in the rock and roll. Yes. Time. I agree. No on Journey. Craftwork. Yes. Yes. I mean, if you're if into only the- for Jeff Katz. <laughs> Katz will, Katz will Katz chain alone. himself to, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I mean, I'm never going to listen to him, but no. in terms of influence, Kraftwerk is huge. You're into that weird crap that you're jamming. I mean, they they influenced a lot decades of, yes. of, of bands that I don't like <laughs> and have no interest in. No, they, they, it's basically that, but that's no, it. They, they had an impact. There's no question. MC5. Yes. I, I don't know enough about it. I would put them in. They had a lot of influence over like rock, punk, I think sort of what became alternative garage bands. I, 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 I could, I was a little bit, I had to look, kind of look was, them up. They seem to me also too, like if you, if you, I don't know what the percentage is for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame of people who vote, but I imagine musicians are going to put them in. Right. That's my guess. Uh, Pearl Jam. Yes, I agree. Not my favorite band, but, but yeah, come on, Steppenwolf. There, no. How 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 can they take the magic carpet ride into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because it's yeah. that and born yeah. to be wild. I think That's you, Steppenwolf. I was going to say, you, what else you got? To me, you got to be born to be wild to put them in. Like that is a what? They're not even the most influential Steppenwolf. Like the Steppenwolf Theater Company was more influential than Steppenwolf the band. The Cars. Yes. I agree. Absolutely. Don't need to debate that, I don't think. Uh, the Zombies. That feels no. Yeah. I feel like the, zo- the Zombies to me are like the, that athlete that's, that's like the – it's like their fourth time going through like the Veterans Committee in baseball. It's like, you know what? If, if you were supposed to be in the Hall of Fame, you'd be there by now. Yeah. I mean they're not a bad band or anything no, like that, but, but no. Tupac. Yes. If for no other reason, I don't want to hear Trudell right. rail up Real, and down. Uh, and actual Tupac or hologram Tupac, or both. I think you let Hall of. I think what you do is you let hologram Tupac give the acceptance speech. Ooh, I would watch. I've never watched an induction ceremony. <laughs> I would watch the hell. That out would of be that. so creepy and in yeah. poor taste. Yes, yes, but I'd still watch. Yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I admit, I, I was hoping that would happen. <sighs> yes, the band. They. I guess so. I mean, they. Pro- the problem is prog rock is so silly. Yes, it is. Like when you look back on it, prog rock is so silly that it's hard to take it seriously now. But you kind of need to. I mean, Yes was a massive band. They were no, and I they mean, had hits. I mean, I mean, if you're gonna have if you're gonna have some prog rock representation, then yeah, they they ought to be there. I guess. I mean, yes, they ought to be in there. I just don't particularly want to see their performance. <laughs> like if if they that, that is not a concert that I want to go. Like you know, bands that that you know that hold up or don't hold up now. I would say if they promise me that they don't perform, then they're definitely in. If they insist on performing, they're probably still in. But I have to think about it more. Um, I'm trying to remember. I had a couple of their albums. Oh yeah, I had a couple of them too. I mean, it was. You know, when you're exploring music when you're like 14, prog right. rock feels very important. Wondrous stories. I remember. I used to love that song. But I, I mean, look, their their influence is obvious, and it should be noted, I guess, or whatever. I just I will get up and go to the bathroom during that part. <laughs> <laughs> they were silly. Yes, they uh, were. There were worse prog rock bands than them. Oh yeah, ELP. Yeah, for example. It's just the whole thing is dumb. King Crimson was kind of silly. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. It's all dumb. It, it is kind of um, Finally, Andy, it is time for our statue segment. Uh, this is prompted by an, a, a tweet that we got that was asking a question, who is the worst Laker, Roy Hibbert or Kwame Brown? The answer is Roy Hibbert. It's not even close. Right. 
I mean, Roy Hibbert was worse with the Lakers than Kwame was during his three years. I mean, Roy Hibbert had a better career than Kwame, and Roy Hibbert, over the course of his career, was better than Kwame. But in terms of the time they spent with the Lakers, Kwame was a better player. Yeah, there's no question. But we've already given Roy, Roy Hibbert could barely stand right, up. We, and that, that was Roy Hibbert's statue, if you remember correctly. I gave Roy Hibbert a statue that was – or it was actually CJ that gave Roy Hibbert the statue where it was him on the ground and you trip over <laughs> Yeah, It's a seven-foot statue on the ground that you trip over, um, which I thought was brilliant. Um, but we today, in honor of that tweet, we're going to do the other half of the – of that question and give a statue to Kwame Brown, who, as we all know, had hands like feet, um, as our high school football coach used to say, and plays in a very important role in Lakers lore because he's the reason that the Lakers got Pau Gasol. Pau Gasol is the reason they got two more titles. He is, though, also the reason that the Lakers don't have Karan Butler. That is also and true. And Karan Butler was a very good player but when you, they moved him. If you got Karan Butler, would you be able to take Karan Butler and make him into... Pau Gasol. So if the answer is no, then you're still better off with Kwame Brown. So Kwame Brown was critical Andy, he was. in the development of the championship, second era of the Kobe championship Lakers. That is true. That is definitely true. Right. Um, and if Kwame were that bad, they wouldn't have been able to. If Kwame were Roy Hibbert, they wouldn't have been able to make that trade. So you know he's better than Roy Hibbert. Well, no. If Roy Hibbert had, was just as bad and had an expiring $9.1 million deal or whatever it was, he's still Roy Hibbert had a $14 million expiring contract. <laughs> you might, might have gotten Pow and another good player. That's true. <laughs> Take it back. So we need now to give a statue to Kwame Brown. Um, well, first we've got to figure out the real estate. I think it's safe to say even bringing in – Pau Gasol and what he meant that way. He's probably not on the plaza. No. Is he downtown? No. <laughs> is he in the 323? Kwame Brown is located in the uh, somewhere in in the 818. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say. Brown's in the 818. He's in the valley. And by the way, the hill. Kwame would prefer that. Correct. Because Kwame really... Kwame Brown. <laughs> Kwame does not want the attention that no, he does with. Right. We, we used to always joke that Kwame must tunnel out of the Laker locker you know room what? after games. In fact, I'm, I'm going to preempt what you're saying right now because what you are talking about is my statue. I'm getting a little meta with this whole That's thing. That's sort of your thing now. It is. <laughs> That's kind of your my thing. My Kwame Brown statue is his locker with a partially removed Rita Hayworth poster in the back of it and a tunnel behind it because that's how Kwame used to get out of the room. So now you're also making a fun film reference. So it's his locker because you never, ever saw the guy after a game. You'd stand next to his locker. He would never show up. John, you've asked John Black where he'd go. John, I have no idea. He would tunnel out the back, and that is, I think, how This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that bad. Well, man. Um, first That's of all, Kwame first of all, that statue's an effing mess. <laughs> that is a complete effing mess. It mixes mess. some themes. It mixes some themes. It's not going to make any sense to anybody who forget. What forget did I do Lakers last fa- week? It was somebody that had fire, and it was Sasha Vujicic. You had a bonfire out of the green clothes that Sasha was burning, and you turned that into a bonfire that people could cook on, right? At, at the beach, because yeah, you know, that's where Sasha obviously always hangs out. Um, what you're suggesting with Kwame, that's an effing mess. That's not going to make sense to anybody. Forget Laker fans. It's not going to make sense to anybody who did not cover Kwame. It, well, and it probably true. won't even make sense to a lot of people who did it cover Kwame. It makes sense Kwame. to me. All right. That, I, you know what it is? I, I, really hit, I really hit it out of the park 
with the meta statue. Yes, you did. The, the meta-, meta statue that sits on the plaza, and whenever you walk by it and you don't say anything, acknowledge me, please. It said it demands that you acknowledge it. Right, but sometimes you got to remember, even when being creative, less is more. And I and I feel that you're going to a place, Brian, that's arguably forced. I'm exploring my creative limits. Mm-hmm. I think you found them. <laughs> I think I've found them. <laughs> I think you and discovered I've them. Blasted through them. So I I agree. Kwame belongs in the valley. I I think you could put him like. Reseda. <laughs> I think that's where most fans would put him. They're not going to put him like in like Sherman Oaks or he's not in Encino. He's not going to be in Encino. Nice. He's not. He's not going to be in any of like the really upper crust parts of the valley. But at the same time, he's still competing in the All Valley Karate Tournament at the end of the year. <laughs> yes, the entire <laughs> San, San Fernando San Valley, Valley, all of it. But at the same time, because he brought us in Pau Gasol, like, I don't want to bring him into, like, the truly dirty parts of the valley either. He's not in, like, the porn district of Van Nuys. Right, exactly. He does not belong to be in the porn. So I'd say either Encino or Reseda. I'm just going to make my statues a little – they're going to be amusing but a little more grounded. It's either Kwame dropping a cake because, remember, he he famously dropped the birthday cake. Or you create a statue – and I don't know exactly how you how you set this up, but his hands are up in the air and the ball is going through them. <laughs> Somehow, like his his arms are up and he's looking uh, like looking in one way, and the ball is very obviously not going to be caught. Right, and you, and and what like you do, behind him, and what you do, and th- this will make fans happy because you can never get enough Kobe. You have a statue of Kobe like four feet away, with glaring, his, at <laughs> glaring at him, or just looking away in disgust. And you know, I think yours is better. I know mine's better. <laughs> There's no question, mine's better. Um, life size, sure. We, I mean, first of all, he's a great guy. We like a really nice. We guy. really liked him much. I don't think I've ever been more surprised by a, an athlete. In terms of what the what I expected them to be versus what they were, he was a really nice guy, a very bright guy, well you know well thought. You know, we couldn't; it was hard to get him because he didn't like talking to us. Because I can't imagine why. Um, so many positive questions. <laughs> so the first, few times. the first, so Kwa- the first positive Kwame Brown feature will be the first positive Kwame Brown feature. But um, you know, so I was I was really so I was not what I was expecting when he got here. Uh, just based on the reputation from Washington, but he was not very. Effective. No, we both actually really liked him a lot. I think it's safe to say when he was traded, it was probably time for him to go. Yeah, I would agree. And he worn out as welcome. It was time. Yes. Um, so, all right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to dial it back for the next statue thing. I think some of it though was you sort of stole the impact of my statue by making the joke and the reference before I had a chance to do it as my statue. So I think that was part of the problem. You don't think that was part of the problem? No. Okay. Not even a little <laughs> Not bit. Not even a little bit of the problem. No. Sweep the leg. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I love what, my favorite part of this podcast is when CJ decides that he's you know he needs to take a break from his real work and starts <laughs> kind of digging through his sound effects like to just drop stuff into the show. Cuz sometimes CJ's buried and he doesn't yes. he, he he pays us no or, mind. You know, or sometimes he's just very understandably tuning us out. Right. But it's always fun when CJ joins in. Yeah, I agree. Um, All right. Well, that's it. We'll be back next week. Andy, next week we'll be talking about real games. Yes. That'll be exciting. Very good. 82-0. Yep. See everybody next time.